Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. I love The Next Reel Season 4. Do you know why? I don't. Why? Because we got to talk about my favorite movie, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. That's not even an adaptation. Uh, no, but it was such a great part of our, of our great Terry Gilliam series. And a few others in that series were adaptations, like The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, adapted from Raspi's stories, and La Jete, which inspired 12 Monkeys. Oh, right. And, and for our Man With No Name trilogy, we saw how Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars was basically stolen from Kurosawa's Yojimbo. We added Labor Day to our Jason Reitman series, adapted from Joyce Maynard's novel. Oof, there's one we'll always regret. Our big Stephen King series covered adaptations like The Shining, Cujo, Christine, and Stand By Me, great horror and coming-of-age tales. Another Coen Brothers adaptation, too. We got to talk about how they turned Homer's The Odyssey into Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? For our holiday series, we did The Bishop's Wife and The Poseidon Adventure. And who could forget seeing Alec Guinness in the adaptation of Kind Hearts and Coronets during our series dedicated to him. We really need to do more of his films. Truly. We had our first film noir series with classics like Double Indemnity, Detour, and Out of the Past. And our black and white cinematography of James Wong Howe series with The Thin Man, Sweet Smell of Success, Seconds, and King's Row. So many adaptations. Oh, you're not kidding. Dive deeper into these originals and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support our show. Get the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and start reading today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. 
It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. What? Should I have? It's out. You just said it was terrible. <laughs> you, you've, ne- you've never seen it? No, and now I, I don't think I will. <laughs> you have to see it. It's a, you just have to see it. Why? I don't want... 1994. Uh, this was... Uh, what's her name from uh, from the... What was that crazy show with the... With Lara the Flynn little, Boyle? Yes, little Lara Flynn Boyle. What else was she in? It was the... That was that crazy show that where they were looking Twin for... Peaks? Twin Peaks. You're with me. It, she was in that movie with Josh Charles. Yeah, Threesome. Baldwin. Threesome. Stephen Ball. <laughs> Baldwin movie. Oh, I can't believe you've never seen that. <laughs> I think I am better off for not having seen that. Oh, no, no. Well, I can't judge that. You just told me it was awful. <laughs> it's not great, but it was definitive in our sort of college years. I can't believe. I can't. Oh. It's great. There, well, I will there's say, a, no, there's a like a this is what it means. I thought I knew what it was when Steve Jobs passed away, and again when Robin Williams passed away. What a disturbance of the force really felt like. This is it that Andy Nelson hasn't seen threesome. Wow, <laughs> that's that's the real shocker of the year. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, that uh, and Joan Rivers all on the same day. Oh man, really. <sighs> That now that was that was too soon. That was it was not a laugh. Line. Joan would appreciate she it. She was oh man. Someone so someone posted a, a line on speaking of too soon when when her husband committed suicide. Did you see this? Nope. Her her just she went out to dinner with her daughter. Uh, like I I don't I have a hard time believing it was like the night of, but the way it was portrayed, it was the night of. And she went out to dinner, and they they opened the menu, and after a minute, she said, "If if uh, if he was still around to come uh, eat dinner with us, he would have looked at these prices and killed himself again." <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> She was she she was a talent that woman she was a she was a true showman, uh, in the purest sense of the word. She she certainly uh, had a sense of humor and yes. I think the the best part about her was that she was perfectly willing to turn that around on herself. Yes, I didn't. I, she is she is one of those characters that I didn't think would ever pass. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I wasn't uh, sure uh, she, she'd be able to. She, our thoughts are definitely with her family. That's a boy. Another in a row, and yep. Andy hasn't seen threesome. <laughs> 
right up there. Oh, that's grim. Uh, how's your week? Are you feeling okay? Are things? Are you crawling out from under it a little bit? Um, no, no. Oh, good Not talk really. though. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but it but it has been good, and I have been diligently plugging away with Game of Thrones. So oh, I'm still where are you now? Time for the important things. Where are you now? Tell me. Uh, we we finished season three, so we made it through the Red Wedding. Oh, how'd you do? How'd your wife do? Uh, she, you know, she's one of those people who is, can have a hard time with, uh, you know, wanting to know the end of the book, and so she had already gone to the internet. To- read about what the red wedding was so it wasn't much of a surprise for her that was that's too bad that's a cheat but it, it certainly was a surprise for me and i mean i had kind of guessed as to some something that was going to happen but it certainly was a little bigger than i was expecting it to be <laughs> right it's a yes. gift though when you see that unspoiled yes and that's why i i don't want to talk about any more of it but but it really is it's a gift because i know there are people who are still catching up so yeah, uh, but it's, it is a gift. I'm I'm excited that you are catching up, and I'm starting to read the books now too. Oh, so good for you! Really getting into it. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm I'm still cruising through, waiting for that next Jack Reacher movie. Oh, I'm on you? I'm on like book ten now. Holy cow! Yeah, that's serious because there are only I think there are 172 books that he's written in the series. They just don't seem to end ever, and so far. I can't seem to get tired of them. Wow, I'm digging that character. So, what book series has the is the longest running? I mean, 172 seems well. That's because I'm big. I'm being wildly sarcastic. <laughs> that was me being. <laughs> I was going to say, wow. Not uh, apparently. I you, were, you had some great statistic in front of you. I'm like, that is one busy author. <laughs> apparently, I'm not hyperbolic <laughs> enough for you. No, uh, I just. Took that line and went hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> yes, I did. That's pretty good. I, Thanks for uh, that. Yeah, no, that was, oh, was 172. <laughs> That's incredible. What? Uh, no, in oh. truth, there are 19. Uh, there are 19 Jack Reacher movies, including a, uh, or Jack Reacher Novels, books, yeah. uh, including a number of... Um, including a number of short stories that he's also written. Um and this is the uh, the series uh, by Lee Child, which is a pen name for Jim Grant. Uh, and so I I've gotten through the one that they made the first movie out of, which was which was book nine, right? Um, one shot, yeah. And uh, and so I'm on I'm on to the hard way. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's good. It's good series. It's good. Uh, you know, it's good page. It's a page turner. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um. You want to tell the people where we're from? Yeah, where are we from? Hey, everybody, it's the next reel. I'm Pete Wright. That there's Andy Nelson. Howdy. And we spoil movies. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you putting your movie spoilage needs in our capable hands you should head over to thenextreel.com you can catch up with the uh, all the news of the show uh, catch up on back episodes boy are there a ton of back episodes and uh, uh, you know and, and uh, get ready for our, our upcoming film board special edition new release uh, Gang of Thugs is getting together in just a couple weeks we're going to talk about uh, something something new and exciting and, and a classic at the same time 
in the meantime, Andrew, how are we doing this week on the Instagram guess the movie hashtag pony prize challenge Andy versus the people? You know, I I think I did uh, good for myself after uh, getting stomped last week. Walloped. Trounced. Trounced. <laughs> <laughs> Spanked. Yeah, there's many a verb that one could apply to what happened last week. Uh, yes, but no, this week, you know, I, I, I picked some good images uh, from Cinema Paradiso. Uh, Giuseppe Tornatore's uh, uh, fantastic film about the love of film. Um, and I made it five images in before Alexander C. Curran figured it out. Uh, you did You did a heck of a job, Andy. I'm not kidding. You did a heck of a job on the uh, on the Pony Prize this week. You got to feel a little bit redeemed. I do. I do feel like I kind of redeemed myself a little bit. You know, five images I think is a is a pretty uh, pretty good run. So yeah, uh, congratulations to Alexander C. Curran. You're entered to win our pony prize. Oh, and, you know, we're, 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 draw- we're doing the drawing for that sometime later in this year. It is, and we've got we are planning. We've got many pieces in place pulling together this uh, this year's pony prize. So. Uh, you know, speaking of other things that are coming up, we've got the uh, the next listener's choice uh, is coming up. That's right. I don't know how uh, that's coming soon. It's I coming. Uh, yeah, it's uh, early November. Early I think November. Is the okay. Next listener's choice. So yeah. here's why we're bringing this up so early is because it's early September right now, and if you want to get into uh, into the running to be able to pick a movie that we talk about on this show, we would love you to do it. We'd love to hear why you think your favorite movie uh, should be included in our uh, list of of uh, next real films. So what you have to do to enter into that particular drawing is just leave us a comment. Uh, head over to iTunes to the next real page on iTunes uh, or Facebook. Facebook. Leave us a nice comment on one of these places, but particularly iTunes. I'm going to be honest with you. iTunes, it, it's uh, it's the devil you know, right? It's the uh, That's the place where if people search for movie reviews, the higher reviewed, more commented shows always show up higher. And we would love to show up to more people. Uh, and so it would really help us out. Leave us a five-star review. Leave us a kind comment. You'll be doing your country a favor and us and people that you've never met who have never heard this show but really need to. That's that's my that's my pitch. Do it for your wow. country. I feel like I should have been like humming the national anthem behind that. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I have you humming is the blob. So I'll put that in there. Um, Almost and- the same thing. <laughs> I and so that would be really helpful. And you'll enter this enter this uh, little uh, little drawing here. We'd love to get you on the show, and that's how it works, right? If you we'll, we'll join us on the show, you'll you will uh, give us a little uh, uh, you know you'll we'll, you'll join me and Andy on a call, and we'll talk for a few minutes about why you think this movie is so important. Right before we get into the into the big review, so look yep, forward we, to that. We're going to be uh, doing the drawing uh, on our uh, October seventeenth show, so make sure you get your draw or your your comments to us before the sixteenth. Yes, do that. All right. Uh, let uh, in other news before we get into trailers. Here, I've got a I've got a special uh, a special insert here. Are you ready? I've done an interview. Mm. I know it's so rare. Uh, I have a a very a uh, dear old friend who went to uh, who attended the Telluride Film Festival. Uh, she was our eyes on the street, and boy, did her eyes do double duty. She saw a ton of movies, and we she uh, joined us uh, for this uh, this conversation earlier today. And uh, I offer it here. This is Mary Friedrichs, uh, friend of the show, movie fan, 
talking about her favorite films from Telluride. Here you go. Okay, I can't tell you how excited I am that we actually have eyes on the street at the Telluride Film Festival. Mary <laughs> Friedrichs, thank you so much for uh, for joining uh, for a, a brief review of all the fantastic films that you saw uh, in Telluride. This is my pleasure. It was my first Telluride, and I'm just very excited to be able to talk about it. Excellent. So there were a lot of notable films uh, at this um, at, at this festival, and uh, you have picked six that we're I going have. to talk about in, in, in a little bit of depth. But the first one that we're explicitly not going to talk about is the first one I'm going to ask you a question about. Why don't you want to talk about Foxcatcher? I, well, there's a several reasons. One, the, the, the most important is that I didn't see it. But the reason that I didn't see it, because it was certainly on my list to see when we were going in, because it had so much buzz, sure. is that the people I talked to thought it was overly long. And the B word, boring, um, was heard by several people. And uh, they, one person said that it lacked a theme which would help explain all the various events as they unfold, and it just didn't cohere. Um, although I also understand that Steve Carell was wonderful in terms of his acting, but um, it didn't sound like a movie I wanted to see. Well, I, I've got to tell you, I'm obviously disappointed in that. It's one that we've been very excited about. I'm disappointed that the buzz was was uh, the big fat B word. But you <laughs> do have some films that you are very excited about. Let's start with the one I'm, uh, after Foxcatcher, the one I'm looking forward to the most, uh, uh, you know, the great Sherlock Holmes, Benedict Cumberbatch starring in The Imitation Game. We just talked about this on the show uh, when the trailer came out. What did you think? I it was it knocked me out. I thought it was the best movie there. Um, this it, it, it's a portrayal of Alan Turing. Maybe you've told your listeners this already. It's a portrayal of the of Alan Turing, the genius, and he was probably autistic and possibly mentally ill guy who cracked the Enigma German code during World War II, uh, and in the process invented the first computer. So Benedict Cumberbatch plays Turing, and he uh, plays it in a very complex way. And, of course, the guy himself was extremely complex. And Cumberbatch just, I think, nailed it. He was beautiful in that role. Kira Knightley plays the equally brilliant and almost complex in her uh, own way, uh, Joan Clark. And it's very psychologically nuanced film, tragic in its tale of Turing's being punished for being, air quotes, homosexual, despite having been a lead player in bringing about the Allied victory. Um, it gets a bit predictable uh, in the portion of the movie in which Turing is uh, battling to get the job, but otherwise the movie is beautifully done, memorable, and uh, in my book, not to be missed. Fantastic. Very much looking forward to this one. How about the other, uh, of, uh, I think, uh, probably fair to say the big celebrity news, Rosewater, directed, uh, written and directed by Jon Stewart. How did that play? It played very well. I was very excited to see it and Jon Stewart, which we got to, one of the fun parts was watching afterward, seeing Jon Stewart talk about it together with the real um, Maziar Bahari about whom this movie is made, and then the, the star of the movie, which is Gael Garcia Bernal, who is just fabulous. Um, it's about an Iranian journalist who lives in England and returns to Tehran to cover the con controversial 2009 presidential elections. Um, and then when he takes a video that, that shows some police violence, he's arrested and held as a, quote, CIA Zionist spy. Um, to me, the surprise was that first-time director Stewart could adapt Bahari's book to the screen so well and do such a skillful job in telling this tale. 
there were wonderful performances by Gael Garcia Bernal as Maziar and Kim um, Bodnia as his torturer. Um, and there were some wonderfully creative scenes that I've not seen similar scenes in other movies uh, that Stuart uh, did. One is he's kind of talking about uh, our lead, Mazari, uh, or Maziar, is walking along, talking about people in his life. And you sort of see in the windows that he's passing the, these uh, sort of shadow images of these people as he's walking. And the killer scene to me, uh, I loved this scene, was in jail. Maziar is in jail, and he's um, just been able to talk to his wife and learn the name of his soon-to-be-born daughter. And from the perspective of the camera that the torturers are watching him in, he's dancing in his cell. It is the most beautiful, sensitively done scene I've ever seen. It was wonderful. So I really recommend this movie. Um, that scene alone is worth the price of the admission, but the whole thing is a very interesting story and wonderfully done. Well, again, that's a relief to hear because the trailer, frankly, was was a weird cross between, uh, you know, strange kind of feel-good uh, that, that, you know, we were concerned that maybe he wasn't going to to really dive quite as deeply into the importance of the of the story itself uh, based oh, on it's obviously definitely, he definitely dives oh that's wonderful so those were the two big ones you had uh mm -hmm. you've got a list of four more films that you're excited to talk about let's let's right. jump into dancing arabs uh film by iran rickless uh written by saeed kashua that's right uh dancing arabs was um an, it's an adaptation of two largely autobiographical novels by uh, Syed Kashua, and who, by the way, does an Israeli comedy show on TV called Arab Labor. And um, so, so Rickless directed it. Uh, Tawfiq Barhom stars as Ayad, a, a genius Arab boy who wins a scholarship to a prestigious Jewish boarding school. And he faces a lot of, bar of, of battles there in terms of his cultural oppression as an Arab, his relationship with a Jewish girl that ends when her parents learn that he's Arab. And mainly the, the conflict in the movie is about his identity, the identity divide between Arab and Jew, and the choices that he has to make about how, who he's going to become in this bifurcated society. It's done with tremendous sensitivity, intelligence, and wit. And um, I think Barhom played Ayad with all of the gifts that his character Ayad holds. So I really recommend this movie. And we got to ride up in the gondola with uh, the director and the star before we ever even saw the movie. So we didn't even know we were going to like it this well. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't, he didn't like catch you talking, speaking ill of the film in the gondola, a little back no, chatter. No, 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 I no, didn't. No. <laughs> no. no, but it did make me want to see the movie, and I'm really glad it did because I'm not sure I would have gone otherwise. Well, and, and you know, he's a, a director of films that I have not seen, and so this is this is one that uh, that uh, you know may may spark a series. I think it's very interesting. How about Diplomacy? This is another one you you emailed saying you were very excited about this film. I, I was very excited. It's done by Volker Schlerndorf, and he was there was a tribute to him at at Telluride. Um, it's a masterful movie depicting the efforts of a Swedish diplomat named Raoul Nordling, and who's played by Andre Dussolier. Um, to convince the General Dietrich von Koltitz, played by Niels Aristrup, not to blow up Paris in the closing days of World War II. Uh, Hitler had given the order to blow up all of the iconic places in, in Paris, the Eiffel Tower, the Place de la Concorde, the, um, uh, the Louvre, etc., and, and von Koltitz was going to do that until he had this long conversation with Swedish diplomat Nordling. It's a very compelling story. The acting is superb. 
And the dialogue, oh my goodness, the dialogue, it was intricate and beautifully written. Um, and actually it had been a play and you can see how it had been a play because most of the movie is this dialogue, but it's not like, I don't know, um, my dinner with Andre or something where the whole thing is just one scene sure. of two people talking. There's, it, there's all kinds of world war two footage cut in and other scenes cut in, but it's just a wonderful movie and the acting. Oh my goodness. Wonderful acting. You know, uh, vocal Schlond- Volker Schlondorf is it now he is a director. We've heard uh, much of from uh, the tin drum back in the late seventies, the legend of Rita and, and uh, you know, very well known for directing Dustin Hoffman and John Malkovich in death of a salesman, which was, you know, a legendary uh, made for TV uh, adaptation of that film. So he is, he has an incredibly long history. I'm thrilled to hear that this film uh, played so well. And that's why they gave him a tribute at, at Telluride. He Absolutely. has a long, long, long life of really wonderful movies. Absolutely. Yeah. How about Wild Tales? Uh, okay. Damien Sifron. Very aptly named wild movie. Um, it, this is what I thought. It, it's a combination. It it brought Twilight Zone together with Pulp Fiction and a little bit of the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie thrown in. <laughs> it's quite a movie. Just very, very um, funny um, in an outrageous sort of way. It's a series of four outlandish revenge stories by um, and revenge by someone who has suffered some kind of hurt from the trivial to the very serious. And, uh, and that's all I'm going to say, but if you go in, suspend your values and just laugh yourself to the end. It's really wonderful. That's the best advice. Suspend <laughs> your values. I love it. <laughs> right. That's the first one I'm going to line up for. The last movie we want to talk about, though, is one that I'm very very curious about uh, 99 Homes, uh, directed by Rami Bahari, uh, or I'm sorry, Barani, uh, mm-hmm. but starring Andrew Garfield. You say Andrew Garfield uh, was, was uh, he was not Spidey in this Absolutely film. Absolutely was not Spidey. I would, if I didn't know that he had played Spider-Man, I would never know he was an action hero <laughs> actor. Um, so 99 Homes was for me the most emotionally riveting. Um, it was, it, it was just the saddest movie and most, um, compelling emotionally. Um, it tells the story of two men during the foreclosure crisis of 2008, and Michael Shannon absolutely owns his role as the real estate broker, Ricky, who evicts the unemployed construction worker, Dennis, played by Andrew Garfield. Ricky soon seduces Dennis into the foreclosure business and the process by which humans can break bad when faced with personal crisis unfolds in all its complexity, and the two um, act, the two lead actors are absolutely uh, a thing of beauty to watch, although the movie is very painful. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. Maybe, uh, you know, it's one of those films you see and you think, gosh, maybe too soon. <laughs> <laughs> right. We've got to get further away we got, we need to be from a little the foreclosure further. crisis, really see what it did to people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, that is wonderful. Any other uh, any other hot news uh, from Telluride that you feel like uh, like is worth talking about? I, I mean, I'll just say that, that I heard of some other uh, others that I saw that I, I liked. Tales of Grim Sleeper, I thought was really wonderful. I hear that Red Army was good. I hear that, and I heard a lot of people say that Birdman was really good, but I didn't see it. Um, and then one that I heard mostly good things about, but uh, one person didn't like so well was Two Days and One Night. So. Um, 
you know, Telluride is a wonderful place. First of all, it's the most beautiful place in Colorado, and it's just a wonderful place to be. But it's also so fun to be hanging out with all these people who care about movies. And one of the fun things that I did not know is that standing in line can be a great fun thing to do because what you do is you meet people and you learn all about them and you learn all about their other movies that are there. Um, I thought that the standing in line would be the downside. It was not. It was one of the two great parts, the other part being watching great movies. So, Well, this is wonderful. Mary, thank you so much for, for uh, volunteering your time to, to tell us your story of Telluride. We, uh, we can't wait to see these movies. We'll put links in the show notes to uh, all of the films that you've talked about, and uh, we'll catch them as they start rolling out through 2014. Thank you, okay. Mary Friedrichs. Great. Thank you, Pete. It's my pleasure. Well, that sounds fantastic. Well, I wish I'm, I was there. I, you do wish you were there. Are you, are you a little bit sad about Foxcatcher? You know, I am really sad about Foxcatcher because I think it looks really good, and I don't want to believe her. Boring, she says, people said. Now, I'm not saying that's who she did. She admits she never saw the movie, but boring is what people were using in Telluride. That makes wow. me super sad. Uh, so, anyway, still very excited to see the touring film. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Really yeah, right. Very curious. Let's do trailers. I'm going to do my trailer first, Andrew. It's Bird People. You know, so Bird People. This is the, uh, Josh Charles. Is, it's not the already sequel to Birdman. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, uh, I've been a fan of Josh Charles since, uh, since the old Dead Poets Society. I like that guy. I think he's an interesting guy to watch. And he did, uh, he did that one of my very favorite shows, uh, Sports Night. Uh, you remember that one? Oh, sh- that never, that was a show. It. it was a Sorkin show that deserved a longer run than it got. Um, it was a fantastic, uh, fantastic comedy, and so I am very excited to see him in this film. This one, you know, it's a this is a man men of a certain age film. Clearly, I mean, it's a guy who is dealing with some stuff in his life, and uh, you know, it, there is something really seductive about the experience of watching somebody quit everything to try something new, and um, to go through. You you really get a sense in this film of of um, you know, kind of the sorrow that he is dealing with, and the wonder of meeting a beautiful French woman. And I'm generally in support of those things. Going through sorrow and be- meeting beautiful French women. <laughs> <laughs> they blend together very well. They do. They uh, really uh, do. Uh, and so uh, this film is uh, directed by uh, Pascal Ferrand, uh, written by Guillaume Barraud and uh, and Pascal Ferrand. I don't know uh, very many of their films, uh, but uh, because they're all French and I've only seen, you know, I haven't seen any of his. Right. Uh, my French is terrible. <laughs> uh, and yet, uh, it, this also this film stars the uh, uh, lovely Anais de Moustier uh, as the lovely Frenchwoman, and she's uh, she looks like uh, worth catching in Bird People. So it looks like a good film. It looks really it, it has kind of a quirky look to it. Yeah, you know, there's it it does have that vibe of the you know uh, midlife crisis sort of story that you were talking about, but. It also has kind of this weird element of the, kind of the connection to the birds and, and uh, you know, 
I, I'm not really quite sure how to read it. Like, is is there a hint of some fantastical element to it? Yeah. It's almost like they allude to this moment where they're flying, but it's, you know, you know, are they really? Is it just kind of in their imagination? What's going on there, you know? Yeah. I, I'm curious to see the approach they take with it. It looks like it would be an interesting film, and yeah, I'm I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I'm, I am, I am too. It comes out in the U.S. September 12th, uh, 2014, so it's coming right up. Sure is. Yeah, your turn. Well, I really am curious to see the film that I'm going to talk about, which is uh, called Felony. And I think the reason that I'm so curious about it is because Joel Edgerton wrote it. This is a, it looks like a pretty much completely Australian film, which makes sense because he's Australian. But, uh, <laughs> but Joel Edgerton wrote it. And, I mean, he has already proven himself as a writer of doing some shorts that he has written and stuff like that. And, and some films uh, have been created from stories that he has written. But this is his first full-length screenplay that he's pretty much done on his own, pretty much has kind of done the whole thing from beginning to end, um, all by himself, too. And, and so I'm, I'm quite excited to see it because it definitely has almost kind of that Dennis Lehane sort of vibe to it. You know, it's got this, right. it's, it's this detective uh, who, um, coming home from work late one night, he accidentally, you know, he's not paying attention to the road, and he accidentally hits a a boy on a bicycle and leaves the kid in a coma and you know, he's guilty and he, uh, he, he feels horrible, but he calls his detective friends and they, um, basically kind of cover it up and help him conceal the crime. Um, meanwhile, his, his conscience is eating at him and now he wants to come clean. And now these other detectives don't want him to because he's kind of put them all at risk. And now he wants to flip on, on it. And it, it looks like this really interesting tense, situation going on between these these uh three detectives played by joel edgerton tom wilkinson and jai courtney um i don't know there's there's something that really intrigues me about just the vibe of this story i don't know if it's going to be uh any good or not but the trailer itself right now i find very intriguing and, and i want to believe that it is going to be something that uh that is really tense and, and kind of holds holds me for the whole run of the film. I do too. I you know I found myself really uh, intrigued by this trailer, and I, I you know I'm I'm excited to see you know Jai Courtney uh, in this film. It's a it looks like a more substantive role than you know the last Die Hard film, or uh, <laughs> right. you know it's it's one of these that um, it's it's a tale we've seen before, but um, uh, but the fact is, you know, we tune in for the people at this point, and I think you know for a story like this, and you know, uh, I, I I certainly think between uh, you know Joel Etherton and Tom Wilkinson, I you know that's a compelling duo, and Tom Wilkinson is just fantastic. It's it's tough, you know, to find a yeah. film that. When is he bad in a movie? Yeah, exactly. So you you have to sort of give give up the credibility to his choice to be in the film at this point. So uh, I'm I'm excited to see it. I think it looks terrific. Yeah, it it does. It looks really interesting. It this... sort of it sort of has a Michael Mann vibe to it a little bit. You know, I kept sort of thinking of Heat. You know, uh, or you know, it's that that that. Um, you know that twist of of men making bad decisions. Yeah, it does have that sort of vibe to it. I yeah. think that's uh, definitely uh, running through it. So, yeah. Yeah. so very excited for this one. When's it yeah. hit? 
It uh, opens October 17th. Excellent. Yes. Excellent, excellent. Uh, now, Andy. I Is it time? We, I, think, I think we need to go kidnap somebody and fall in love. <laughs> and make some pie. <laughs> it was just the two of us after my father left. Well, I don't think losing my father broke my mother's heart, but rather losing love itself. Her hands started shaking beyond her control. Just leaving the house was difficult. I wonder if you can give me a hand here. You're bleeding. Mom, this is Frank. He was kind enough to offer me a ride. We really can't help you. Frankly, this needs to happen. Where do you want to go? Your house. For police looking for Frank Chambers, an inmate at Cinchfield Prison serving 18 years for murder. I'd be grateful if you let me stay till nightfall. Isn't it against the law to hide a fugitive? If someone were to come by, it would need to look like I kidnapped you. How do I know you won't hurt us? I'm stronger than you think. I've never intentionally hurt anyone in my life. What happened? Just know that there's more to this story than you'll see in that paper there. We won't be needing that any longer. When you have to say I tied you up, you won't be lying. Choke up on the bat, hands together. It's a good peach. I should throw most of them away before they rot. I have another idea. How's a fellow let a woman like your mother get away? He got together with his secretary. He's infected. I'll send Henry for medicine. Keep an eye out, all right? I should go. Maybe you should stay. They're not going to stop looking. I know. There were two people who couldn't go out into the world, so they made a world with each other. I'd take 20 more years just to have another three days with you. I can't give you a family. You already have. Adele? Are you a friend? Just a handyman. We're going to hit the road and never look back. Well, withdrawal in this quantity is a little suspicious. All right, son. You want to tell me where you're going? I came to save you, Adele. No. Andy, this is... If, if there was ever... I don't think we've ever done a film that going into the week has been steeped in such controversy. I don't. I don't know if we have. I don't Steeped. think so. <laughs> <laughs> People who are stymied by why we are talking about Jason Reitman's uh, 2013 film Labor Day. Even yeah, 2013, but really 2014 for. The vast majority of the yeah, world. Right. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so it's a pretty recent film. Um, why, again, are we, are we talking about it? Well, we had a little... We did a few Jason Reitman films, yes. right? We talked about right. uh, Up in the Air. Mm-hmm. We talked about Thank You for Smoking. Uh, we've kind of avoided the Diablo Cody films uh, because I have that issue. Yeah, because if you're... That I've discussed. Phobia. <laughs> I need fruit. <laughs> I don't know what it is exactly, but yeah, it's uh so we've kind of avoided those films. Um and uh and neither of us had seen Labor Day. 
neither of us had seen this, but when we were assembling our our list, and this was, I mean, this was at the end of last year, before the movie had even opened, is when we put our list together, and we were looking for a film to fill a slot, and we're like, hey, Labor Day would be a great movie to talk about on Labor Day. On Labor Day, right. We need to fill that slot. And it would be a continuation of our Jason Reitman without Diablo Cody series. So I think it's fair to say that this is a pick of convenience for us, and we roll the dice. That's what it was. That's what it was. And so... Yes. Uh, we have had, uh, the, I think it's it's fair to say that uh, the blot score uh, comes down hard against. Yeah, I feel like the blot score is very similar to, <laughs> the blot score, of course, is Ben Lott's opinion of the film. Um, who, who never writes before the week, and this he's, he's taking a sort of an activist role this week. <laughs> Yes, I, I, he really, uh, I, I think this put him on the attack when he, he watched this film. <laughs> he, he really wanted to just, uh, you know, knife somebody after watching I... this film. Uh, clearly, uh, Josh Brolin's criminal was not criminal enough not... for him, so he wanted to take up the mantle. Uh, yes, and uh, yeah, uh, quite a fervent uh, review opposed to this film that you he put up that, on our Facebook yes, page. Yes, you find that on our Facebook page. It's worth reading. <laughs> uh and and so uh you know we've had uh, our own hoist by our own petard our own people have uh have come out uh, you know from our, our own film board thugs have come out and curious as to why we're talking about this film and so i ask you andy out of all of the uh the fervor leading into our conversation about labor day how did uh reitman's labor day hold up for you well, and I'm going to I'm going to begin this with the caveat that that you also uh, you know put us in a in a spot last week by essentially you know preemptive a preemptive strike of a negative review before we even you I know, did, got what did to I say it. because so I didn't see you, you I hadn't seen that, it no but you had read that review of that other podcast oh that, uh, the Flophouse did Labor Day and that was I'm I apologize for that that was a spoiler. The Flophouse <laughs> is a fantastic podcast where they only do movies that suck, and by their well, regard, by right, their right. their, and so they had done an hour on the uh, failings of Labor Day, and I thought that was ironic that two weeks before we do our show, <laughs> this <laughs> podcast dedicated to failure has done this very movie. Yes, exactly. So back to well, you. Back to me. I will be honest. I kind of liked it. And I, I totally saw that coming. I, I know, and I totally, I totally knew you would see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, what does that do for you? I mean, does that do, did you do you have some sort of a surprise spoiler for me about your opinion that you kind of you kind of liked it, but I I no no I just I I kind of liked the movie, but I do acknowledge that there are there are problems with it. There are things that I think aren't working uh, in its favor. But I think there actually is a lot of stuff that is working in in its favor. And, um, yeah, I mean, I I, I will get into all of that. But I I feel like there is an interesting element to this story that that I kind of fell for. I I really enjoyed the characters, and I enjoyed the, the... this emotional journey that they all take over this long weekend um, in in sweaty New Hampshire. (laughs) (laughs) You know, yes. Okay. I'm actually, here's a spoiler. 
uh, or a surprise uh, twist for you. I'm actually probably closer to you than you think on this film. And I know you came into this thinking that I'm going to hate it. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie to you. There's a lot of stuff in here I do hate. Yeah. Uh, but I, I found myself liking the the rightmanness of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, much more than the actual execution of the story itself. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. I, 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 I think I get where you're going with that. Well, because there's, there's this... <sighs> This is one of the things he does, right? That that he has a, a sense of, um, I, I think, a, a pretty good sense of the gray area in people, right? That that there is this, um, you know, one of the things he said about Up in the Air was that, you know, it one of the things that is so fascinating about stories like this is that it's interesting to tell a story about people who are finding commonality with strangers that they wouldn't that the that they wouldn't find with people they know very well right that it's it's interesting uh, in his view as a filmmaker to throw these people who are um you know wildly different by all regard uh throw them together and just roll the dice and see what happens and uh, i think you get that in up in the air you get that in sort of these these transient relationships with strangers and i think up in the air really executes on uh, really nicely on the perils of those kinds of relationships and and uh, i think you have him doing that again in labor day it's a you know it's a, a this this film about a, a prisoner he's uh, on the lamb and he uh, kidnaps the, the this family this mother and son uh, and essentially holds them sort of, you know, it's a Stockholm syndrome thing. He holds them hostage. They fall in love with him and, uh, become a family. Uh, and that's, that's sort of what happens in, in the film. And I'm, I'm wildly, um, uh, sort of understating the plot, but, um, but that's kind of what happens. And I, I like the intention of those relationships. I like the idea that, that he is throwing this criminal together with this, man, they're both supremely damaged people. And we get to see sort of what happens and how that plays out. I like the intention of that relationship. I, I like the fact that there's, that there really are, I mean, there's no good guy, no bad guy. I mean, if there's any bad guy in this film, it's like the, the 14 year old girl who the son always meets in a ditch you know i mean that um but it really kind of capitalizes on the gray area in all these people and and the role that damage plays that past damage plays on our future relationships i like that i i like the fact that that uh, you know he sort of lives in this gray area um and and then we get to to sort of the practical um kind of execution and i feel like this film falls short of what i love about uh, you know up in the air and thank you for smoking it falls short in the execution and i think maybe that's um you know i i don't know why that is i i you know part of it is the film i don't feel like can make up its mind um you would ask me actually i'm interested in your in your intention here you'd ask me to if if uh, i would watch it with my wife what my wife thought of it what were you going with there well, I'm just curious because there's, I think, definitely a difference of viewpoints when a man looks at a film like this and a yeah. woman looks at a film like this. Um, you know, my wife, uh, you know, I mean, I, I can be a bit of a, a sap. So, you know, it's it's film like this I can fall for uh, easily. Um, but, you know, it's, it's definitely a film that she really fell for. She really uh, loved the stories. She really got into the characters. And yeah. 
And so I was just wondering if you ended up watching it with your wife, if she ended up kind of, you know, in that same boat or if she uh, if it was just kind of, you know, yeah. just happened to be my wife as opposed to kind of the way that a, a, a woman might see the film. Well, I don't know if you could characterize my wife as a woman then. I mean, she hated it. She she didn't want to watch it all the way through. And, and I think part of the reason she didn't want to watch it is because of this this sort of identity crisis in the film that um, she felt like the, the thrillerness of it. Uh, it was not characterized, uh, you know, she didn't go in expecting, um, you know, expecting this sort of the the thrillerness of it and when it was sort of a thriller that didn't really pay off as a thriller uh it it became a romance built on a foundation of you know wild inconsistency and so she walked away not wanting to watch the end of it like she even she just really didn't like it yeah. um, and yeah. so uh, and and I can't I I can't can't argue the point with her I mean I felt like there was some of that inconsistency too I had a really hard time sort of figuring out what the film was going for well, and see, that for me was, uh, and, and maybe that's just, you know, a, a, a different way of looking at the film is like, I never actually saw this film as a thriller. I never saw this. I mean, yes, it has kind of an element of, okay, he's a criminal who is, is uh, has broken out and he takes this family hostage so that he can kind of hide and get away from the law. But it, to me, it, I mean, there are tense moments when he, you know, grabs the kid's neck and is like, frankly, this has to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, as he's telling uh, Adele that he, she needs to take him to their house so that he can kind of get away. Um, But it never struck me as this is a, this is a criminal on the lamb thriller. Uh, And it it always struck me as a kind of just a romantic drama that had some tense moments in it. And maybe that's kind of the reason that it worked better for me is because I never saw it as, you know, this hardened evil criminal, uh, you know, going out and doing all of this sort of stuff in the big, you know, the, the big tense uh, ending and all of that. For me, it was always about the relationships and it was always about these, these people who uh, were, uh, had all kind of suffered a loss of some sort. Um, well, all relating to other people, you know, whether it's her losing her babies uh, through miscarriages and then her husband, uh, whether it's the son losing his father or whether it's uh, um, his character losing his wife and child. Um, They've all had this kind of this familial loss. And through this situation, um, they're all good people. They've just are in situations where they're not necessarily... He's he's a criminal. He's an escaped convict, but he was never a criminal. He was never a bad guy. He was he was a military husband. His wife had been cheating on him. Uh, he accidentally killed her, you know, and that and he was in prison because of that. It was all kind of this accidental thing. So it's not like he was ever a bad person. Uh, I know that was a, a fault that that Ben had with the story is that, you know, as a criminal, he's just not bad enough. He's not a criminal. I'm like, well, he doesn't have to be a criminal. He's he made mistakes. It ended up, you know, he got stuck in prison because of that. Um, but here he is now in this story about trying to find, uh, trying to find a way out, and in the process, running into somebody who happens to be a, somebody that he can kind of have this connection with. And that that worked for me because I never went into this seeing it as a thriller. I have to know, Andy, how did you go into this movie not seeing it as a thriller? Well, you know, it's funny, Ange and I. Um, we were talking about 
this and the trailers. And we're like, gosh, what was the trailer for this? Because we couldn't remember what the film was trying to sell itself as. And a we went thriller. back and we watched the trailer. No, the trailer that we saw was 100% love story. There was nothing thrilling in the trailer at all. I mean, oh. yes, it's a guy who is, uh, I mean, it, 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 the whole premise is he's an escaped convict who takes his family hostage so that he can hide out. But it's never portrayed as a thriller. It's never portrayed as cops are out hunting for him and all that. It's all portrayed as they have this connection. They fall in love. They're making pie. Uh, and it's all about the relationships. And that's the trailer that, that I saw. So I never went into this looking at it as a thriller. Man, I that's not how I... Even if we saw the same trailer, and I, I don't... You know, my recollection of the of the promotion for this thing was that it was centered on the, the, the hostage angle, right? It was on the, the thrilling sort of crime piece of this convict who takes a family prisoner. Uh, and I don't remember anything else. I certainly don't remember the romance angle. And so when I saw the film, my expectation was like, you know, as, as Ben says, and as many people say in the reviews that, that really, I mean, if you saw the trailer, the film, you know, could have been 15 minutes, right? All the thrilling stuff was 15 minutes. And I can totally see how, if you go in expecting this to be a romance, then the rest of the stuff is, uh, you know, is setting, um, but if you go into it expecting it to be um, a thriller and what you get is the bridges of Madison County, you're going to be disappointed. Well, and that is a very interesting point as to how do they sell a film. Now, I don't know. Maybe there are a couple different trailers out there that people are looking at. Um, oftentimes they will do that where they'll cut films. They'll have kind of, okay, this is the trailer that's cut that will, this will be the A trailer that will attach to all the other kind of romantic dramas and, and the, you know, the romantic films that'll kind of draw the women in. And this will be the kind of the trailer that focuses on the thriller a little more to try to draw the men in. And they'll have the different variations of the trailers. And they'll often do that to try to sell a film to different audiences. And it's entirely possible that this is a case of that where, the the trailer the, the trailer that we watched happened to be the one that is very much focused on the romantic side of the story and it, it touches on the premise of the story which is you know criminal takes a family hostage in order to hide and in the process falls in love but it really focused on the on the romance through the whole trailer hmm. that's fascinating to me i what's your your stance on is some of the the um, the I don't know. Some of the the hue and cry of this film is on is deals with Kate Winslet's character and her sort of part of the fantasy of the film of the setting of the film is that this relationship develops over the course of so many or so few days, uh, right? I mean, it it really takes place over this weekend, yeah. Uh, and uh, that she, um, you know these these two people are their damage you know they're like these puzzle pieces that that are sort of in the world of the film destined to fit together right mm-hmm. and uh so some of the backlash in the film is how is is that it is somehow kind of misogynistic right that that she it it's totally diminishes her role uh, or Kate Winslet's uh, characters Radell's uh, role as somebody who's who is um you know they're just wrongly portraying her weakness um and uh and and that's part of the damage of the film it's like there is the the romance uh, has no integrity um what's your what's your take on on that it sounds like you you bought the whole thing yeah well 
that's that's an element of the story that um you know i i that whole stockholm syndrome element of the story i mean i always find it a little difficult to buy into kind of that that element i mean i'm one of those like i said i'm a little bit of a sap i i i am all for true love love at first sight like all of that sort of stuff those stories i can totally buy into those stories i can believe it in real life um i think love is one of those things that can randomly happen at any moment and you're never expecting it i think that it they portray that in films all the time and people buy into it this is a, a film where they they portray that where this this bond between these two people they portray that where there's a connection between these two people they 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 sense it right away even if it is this tense situation of you know having to tie you up and and all of that um I, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's, I, I'm willing to buy into it for the sake of the movie, even if it is one of the elements that I think is one of the weaker elements of the film where it's like, okay, you've got to buy into the fact that this woman, um, this guy comes in forcibly into her house. She is willing to, I mean, she hides a knife in her, in her dress. She's willing to kind of, uh, you know, step up and fight this guy because he's, uh, you know, a threat to her and her son. And she's kind of the, you know, the mother bear willing to kind of attack Mm -hmm. if she has to, um, only to have kind of the tables turn on her. In um, 12 hours. Well, yeah, I, right. But, but that's the nature of these stories. And yes. I mean, you know, people buy into that all the time. And I, I'm willing to buy into it in this film because, uh, and maybe it's because the, I, I buy the actors. Maybe it's because, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I sense that need between these two characters and that, that bond that they develop. However, I do think it is one of the weaker elements of the story. Yeah. And, and I'm with you. I mean, I actually, I think Josh Brolin, He's just such an interesting actor to watch. You know, I, I enjoyed watching Josh Brolin work, and, and I I don't think he's, you know, he lets down in this film. No, uh, not and, at all. And I feel like, you know, probably my affinity to these two people as actors really is what allows me also to get over some of the of the the challenges I have with it. Um, but, uh, you know, the fact that... I, I think the story weakness for me is the fact that this romance uh, is built on such an unbelievable set of, of emotional and historical coincidences, right? That that they would they would both have such you know radically similar past losses that the uh, you know and it's told through such a convolutedly executed set of flashbacks. With I think actors, younger actors who look too much alike. The 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 you know the male characters look too much alike. I you can't. I I found it really difficult to track the history of the film, and so that made it difficult by the time I get into the third act not to think you've got to be kidding me, around every corner. I just kept saying that you've got to be kidding me, uh, mm. and and so that was that was a challenge for me. I felt like it it was not. Uh, it was not a well sort of edited or architected, um, you know, flashback. Uh, the utility of the flashback, I think, was not executed well. And that's an interesting point. Uh, the flashbacks, I didn't have problems with the flashbacks themselves um, 
the construction of them. I actually liked the way they played throughout the film, but my problem with them, and it sounds like it definitely is a problem that you had as well, was figuring out whose flashbacks they were. Right. Yes. <laughs> because I because the the guy definitely looked like Josh Brolin. But also I was kept going, okay, but is it her flashback? Because she kind of looks like Kate Winslet. So whose flashback are we watching here? And it threw at, me for a little bit. At one point to, I thought the baby was supposed to be Kate Winslet. Right. Oh, I, like I, I was I was two generations, you know, before <laughs> before the film. <laughs> yeah. a serious flashback. Serious flashbacking. Yeah. So that was definitely something that I, I think um, could have used a little a little finessing is the way that is is perhaps the casting of the girl could have been a little different to separate her from Kate Winslet a, a little more. But I mean, I think the guy looked like Josh Brolin for sure. And so that, you know, initially led me to think that it was his until I saw the girl and started thinking it was Kate Winslet's flashbacks. And then it re got really confused. Yeah. But once I figured out whose they were, then it really wasn't much of a problem. But um, but that does go to talk about the nature of story construction, which I think is a very interesting one to discuss in context of this film, because not only do we have flashbacks, which, you know, work for some work, don't work for others. I, I think it's, it seems to not work for more people than uh, work. Um, but the other interesting element that they throw into the story that I don't like at all in this film is the voiceover oh. as much as as oh, much as I'm i so love glad. as much as i love uh toby mcguire's voice i think he does have a great voice for voiceover he and he also just you know he, he you're gonna talk about the, how it fails the story yeah I, the, I mean the nature of voiceover i think is a really tricky thing to balance when you're a screenwriter um because you're always trying to find ways to show don't tell. That's kind of what you look for in a story. Now, with a voiceover, what happens is you're just telling, telling, telling. There can be great ways to do voiceover where you're not necessarily uh, falling into that trap. And I, I, I am a fan of voiceover when it works. Uh, you know, there are plenty of films out there that have fantastic voiceovers that really work to to carry the film and add to the film without duplicating efforts of what's happening on screen. And that's where this film really kind of, uh, it, not the film itself falls apart, but the story structure uh, kind of fails a little bit is that I feel like Reitman wasn't trusting the, what was happening in the story enough and felt he needed to uh, emphasize it more by having this voiceover and having this kind of this, uh, this, it becomes kind of this, you know, bookend as we kind of come to Tobey Maguire as a kind of grown Henry later at the very end of the film telling us this story. And I just didn't feel like we needed it there. And there's so many times where it's like, I mean, and, you know, it's, it's lines like, you know, he fixed our stairs and, and or he fixed our stairs and she taught him to dance or something. While like, he is fixing while, stairs and yeah. they are dancing. Yes, yeah. we're seeing it all. And it's yeah. just like, and that's the, I mean, I, I do like Tobey Maguire. I think his voice works well. Uh, Great Gatsby, I think his voice, it, it, anytime he's doing voiceover, it's compelling to listen to for me, but it's just not necessary here. And I think that is one of the big failings of this, uh, of this story. And I'm, I don't know. I would be just very curious to look at this film without voiceover and see if it ended up having any sort of different reaction with people, if that was the thing that really kind of made them feel like this film is just, 
you know, too much. You know, I, I absolutely agree. And, and I think what's so interesting about it, if you get rid of the voiceover that is just duplicating the action on the screen, which is just a, it's nonsense. What you're left with is voiceover that, that is, uh, that ends up, you know, when you get rid of it, you end up having a more cerebral experience with a film, right? You end up getting to let the actors uh, figure out how to tell the story through, you know, how they're portraying these characters on screen. We get to see how damaged, uh, you know, she is, Adele is, as a result of the divorce when her, when his dad, when Henry's dad left him, uh, rather than Henry saying, I think she was damaged when my dad left us. You know, like we, we get to see it and we get to interpret their relationship, uh, you know, historically through um you know through the actors portrayals i think it really in this case it was really superfluous i wonder what your take on this is do you think that voiceover comes in is it is is voiceover a natural crutch uh more so when it comes to adaptations uh in in this genre well and you know that's exactly what i was wondering because i mean i have not read this uh, joyce maynard novel that this film uh is based upon so i don't know uh i mean i know it's told from henry's point of view but i don't know if it's kind of in his head and a lot of this came out of that i i'm not quite sure but it does feel like that is a potential trap that you can easily fall into when doing adaptations because of the nature of a novel and how you're so much more inclined to um, get into the heads of your characters in a novel. And when you're translating that to film, there's definitely a, um, a line there that uh, you have to figure out how to cross. You know, do you trust your actors to do it or do you kind of get the voiceover to kind of tell you everything? And, when, it's interesting because when you look at Reitman's other uh, adaptations that he's done that we've talked about, his films, uh, they've been about much more cynical people. They've been films about uh, that, that have a much more uh, comedic bent to them. And uh, it, there's a little more of a sharpness to them. This one is a very, uh, I, I don't want to say simple story, but it is kind of a, a very... Uh, a very simple story, even though it deals with complex emotions. And, I mean, Reitman himself admitted that this is a very different film for him. He said it deals with complex drama, and I may not nail it on this film. It may be just my first step. And I think that he's right about that. And I'm wondering if the voiceover came from him as a writer, uncomfortable with this type of storytelling, and uncomfortable and unsure about, you know, are people going to get it if I don't put it out there for them uh, and that's why that the narrator ended up getting added in and i don't know i'm not in in reitman's head but i really feel like with when you have actors like kate winslet josh brolin and even gatlin griffith who i have to who, say is yeah. an amazing actor as as a young kid i mean he has he i thought he brought so much to the screen i didn't need that i didn't need voiceover yeah. I didn't need it, and I found it really distracting. And I, it, boy, to to second uh, your vote, man, that Gatlin Griffith, I thought he was really terrific, uh, and really compelling on screen. Yeah, amazing eyes, and he's he is a great actor um, who already at I'm not sure how old he is. Uh, let's see. Uh, no, I still don't know how old he is. Um, he is the sort of actor at a young age who already knows. To, to kind of be silent and to just let his face do the acting without having to do anything, you know? Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's 15 right now, so. 
Yeah, young kid. Others who stick out to you as we plow through this thing. Well, Poor Clark Gregg. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I enjoy seeing Clark Gregg in in most anything. I mean, he's a fun actor to see. It's it's it was interesting uh, his his relationship flashback. Uh, I mean, this is a terrible thing to compare it with, but it, it, there's almost like this this sense of up when you watch the little <laughs> like the little story uh, montage of his relationship with Kate Winslet as they're having their relationship. Everything seems hunky dory. They're excited about having babies. She has a miscarriage that she gets pregnant again. There, everything seems hunky dory. She has another miscarriage, and it just kind of goes downhill. And it's, it, it, I don't know why it struck me that it kind of was like up. I mean, that's probably a terrible comparison because. <laughs> Because Up is a magnificent relationship montage, but um, but that's you know, really I, funny. I do like her, Clark Gregg, though. I mean, and you know, I think he brings enough into the story to be that absent father who just doesn't quite know how to connect the right way with his son. Yeah, I you know I agree. I feel a little bit at at the end that he's written off as the jerk, uh, and uh, you know I think that's unfortunate. Um, because it clearly there was some complexity in their relationship, uh, and and I think his his why I left speech uh, ends up being um, too simple, uh, and and it's unfortunate because you know I think that that diminishes the relationship that he's able to have with his with his son, and uh, obviously there is some trouble there. I didn't like that angle. I didn't feel like that was particularly rewarding. I understand why it was it, it happened the way it did, and I and I think there is a way to justify that. You know, they need to have that awkwardness uh, in their father son relationship. Um, you know, in order to make um, in order to make Henry's affinity toward Frank stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I still found that it, it undersold the complexity of their, you know, of, of their divorce and, and of Adele's problem. Well, and, and I'll say what I, I actually liked it uh, for that reason, because, you know, I don't know, people don't know how to explain themselves very well. And I, I thought that was actually a great scene between him and the older uh, Henry, when we see him as the 16-year-old version, mm-hmm. um, where he's he's giving him that talk, and it, it feels incomplete, which is, I think, kind of what you're saying. But what I liked about that is the fact that, you know, I mean, I, I think that speaks very honestly to a lot of conversations parents have with their kids where they're trying to talk about kind of an emotional thing. And it's just like, especially coming from his character who clearly, I mean, he couldn't handle uh, Adele and her, and her breakdowns from all of the, uh, the damage that had been caused to her by the, by the miscarriages. And here he is now um, unable to communicate with his son. And I, I liked that element of it. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I can see it. I just, I, you know, I'm disappointed when it it felt undersold. Yeah, and I and totally I can see, see your it. point. I can see your point too. Uh, I I have to tell you, one of the, when you think about this as a thriller, let's go back to pretending it's a thriller. Okay. Right smack dab in the middle of the film, uh, we have this sequence where. Uh, uh, the fan, the talented Brooke Smith plays Evelyn, brings her son, uh, who uh, developmentally, developmentally disabled son, uh, to the house and just kind of tosses him into the house. Says, "You got to watch my son. I got to go deal with this other thing," right. and leaves him there. 
And they end up having a wonderful day of baseball with the son, and they play and everything. And then the, Evelyn comes back to pick up uh, her son at the end of the day. During the newscast, Frank is hiding upstairs, and during the newscast, he, you know, they're talking about the fact that this escaped convict is, is uh, you know, in the in the wild, and the son, uh, played by uh, Michael Fowler, uh, is screaming you know, the name of Frank, 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 but he, he can't say much else. And Evelyn turns around and screams at him and slaps him hard in oh, the face. Yeah. That just... <laughs> that was a horrifying sequence to watch. It was. It really was. Of of all of the thrilling <laughs> that went on, let's assume it's a thriller, that was the most th- thrilling sequence in the film for me. I thought that was really... I really enjoyed it. I mean, I found it a really just in terms of a of a cinematic moment. I thought they, you know, the characters on screen at that moment really owned it. Um, oh, absolutely! Because you never know where that scene is going. Yeah, you do. You know, and I I thought it was. I mean, it's a it's it, it was a very tragic end to that scene when you see how she treats her son and disregards what he's actually trying to say. Yeah, but. Uh, but it built the tension so brilliantly the way that Barry figures out, you know, kind of puts two and two together and it's, and he's saying it and it's right there and she just disregards it. And it really, I agree. I mean, it was a brilliant scene and it's just, and it, it, the way that it ended, it's just like heartbreaking as much as we, the audience who are rooting for this relationship to, to to work uh, are thrilled that, you know, that, he wasn't found out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I see that. And, and because I went into it imagining more of a thriller, I was walked out of that scene feeling like, wow, they just let go of an amazing opportunity and they just washed their hands of it. And that was, that was just sort of chalk that up on my scorecard of you've got to be kidding me. Mm. So frustrating, but that sequence, that sequence in particular, I thought was, was very strong. Yeah. Well, and, and there are tense moments and, and I think that's the, I guess that's the difference of it being a thriller versus being a romantic drama that has tense moments in it. And, you know, for me, that tense moment worked also. And I think another one that worked really well is James Vanderbeek as the (laughs) police officer. Yes. Wow. I, I have to say, I mean, I've never been a follower of James Vanderbeek in any of his shows or any of his films, not somebody I've ever really kind of uh, kept track of. But I have to say, it's like if he plays more roles like this, I would be a huge fan because I thought he was fantastic in this. I, you know, yeah, I I just, I I bought him and he was, he was very, he was that good natured cop who was there and, but brought that tension. And uh, I don't know, he worked really well for me. I know. And again, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it chalk it up onto another one of those opportunities kind of. Um, kind of washed. I wanted, I wanted more. I found myself weirdly wanting more James Vanderbeek. Why can't I have more Vanderbeek? And I've never, ever in my life said that. Yeah. Ever. I tell you, after watching this, I'm like, man, he could be everywhere if he was just doing roles like this because he works really well. Were you a, were you a Dawson or a Pacey? Tell the truth. I was never, I've never even seen that show. Liar. That's what I said. Liar. I have, I have you are never... a liar. <laughs> uh, I don't even liar. know what mean really when liar. you say that. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Uh, where were we? <laughs> uh, J.K. Simmons. J.K. Uh, Simmons. You know, uh, Jason Reitman's Lucky Charm, who appears in all of his films, has yes. his, his one fun, fun little uh, scene with his wonderful comb-over yes. as, the, as the peach peach-bearing neighbor. <laughs> Yes, he wants to talk to uh, he wants to talk to mom about something. Yes, I yes. wonder what that is. J.K. <laughs> Dirty old uh, lech. <laughs> take a bite of peach. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was uh, he was kind of in and out. It was good to see him uh, him on screen. Uh, yes. Who else? Bridget Fleming yes. as the, uh, then... the the young uh, the young bad influence. Yes, uh, she's an interesting face, and she brings an interesting element to the story that was fun to see because they're definitely, um, you know, one element of the story that we haven't talked about much is that this kind of sexual awakening that young Henry is experiencing right now, you know, paying attention to uh, the, the bra strap under the girl's shirt sitting in front of him in class, paying attention, like looking at the, the, uh, glamor magazine to check out the, the hot woman on the cover. Uh, he's at that age where he's just starting to have his awakening. And I, what I really liked about that is that you get this character that he's attracted to in Bridget Fleming, who really is, 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 a very broken character because of what she has actually gone through in her own life. And now he is uh, torn. I, I think it creates an interesting dynamic for him because he's torn between his attraction for her and what she's actually telling him and, and, you know, how he needs to escape this, this situation where he's, you know, he may want it there and, but he's trying to figure out what, what really is the right thing, you know? Yeah. You see, this is another one of those elements where, like, she brings in the, she brings in more thriller. Uh, well, you think so? I do. I do. Because the first time we we see her, you know, the first time we have a substantive conversation with her, she's like doing uh, legal research, uh, you know, uh, about some sort of a, a um, what do they call it when you... Uh, Young adult freedom, or something yeah, like, like that. Like a, like, a, what are her rights? What are yeah, her rights as a as a young person against her parents, and and um, you know that that just sort of brings in an, an angle of uh, antagonism. Uh, and as soon as she figures out, as they're walking down the ditch, and she figures out, oh, it's him. Uh, you've been telling me this story about this guy that I've been calling a you know a, a sex predator, uh, and now I get it. It's it's the guy, the runaway. You are harboring this runaway, and that just screams mm-hmm. thriller. And of course, it all sort of unravels after that for a number of different reasons. Uh, and and I don't think we're ever. And maybe you're clear on it. For me, it, it's the the moment when it unravels is the bank. Um, but you know when she goes to the bank and is has an extremely difficult time getting all that money uh out of the bank uh, but is there is there a period do we do we do you feel like you walked out of this film knowing what it was that got the the police was it the note that that henry left for his dad i think it's uh i think it's when um the neighbor comes back over to, to come into the house oh yeah yeah see i and, forgot uh, yeah, i even when, forgot when, that happened yeah, when Evelyn sees him, because uh, I, I think that there's definitely a, a moment of recognition when she's talking to Frank yep. as he's fixing light bulbs and stuff. No, you're I, right. But you're right. I mean, there's there's a lot of potential moments. Is it 
is it the officer as he's kind of you know helping them you know he picks up uh, uh, Henry and takes him home, but then is getting this sense of some weird vibe that's going on at their house. He doesn't quite know what it is. Um, is it the fact that she's acting funny at the bank and withdrawing all of her uh, yeah, her yeah. funds? You know, there's a couple different things, but I, I think that it's Evelyn. I, I think that's the moment. I, I that, think you're probably right. Yeah. Um, okay. Who else do you want to talk about? Uh, in, anybody else in the film that you feel like you, we need to call out? Uh, I think we kind of covered all of them. All right. Um, and have we talked enough about Jason Reitman um, as director and writer of this film? Just, you know, I I think that I do agree with him that this does feel like a film where um, I really enjoy the way that he directs films. I enjoy the way he works with characters in films. Um, I do feel like this is kind of a, a growing curve for him still. I mean, like I said, I do like this film, but I do feel like he's still in his uh, growing phase for telling this sort of story that is a much quieter sort of story, much more, um, you know, focus on the actors and their faces rather than just all the clever lines that characters are saying. Um, so I... so. Other than that, I don't know if I have much more to say about Reitman. Yeah, I think I, I pretty much covered my Reitmanisms in the beginning. I, I think what I what I really like about this film is it very much feels like a Jason Reitman film. Uh, it feels like he's dealing with the sort of character and cultural elements that are typical to Reitman films, whether they're sort of comedic or oddball or, or uh, you know, in this case now, uh, you know, drama. Um, and, and so I really like that. It's, this doesn't feel, in, insofar as, you know, oh my gosh, what a, what a strange turn Jason Reitman has taken with this film. I, it doesn't feel to me like a strange turn or a surprise at all. It feels very much like it fits within his canon. Um, there are lots of, of you know, uh, lots of you've got to be kidding me's throughout, and I think those are story problems more than anything else. But I, but you know, that may be, um, it, we may be able to write those off to the book and and a poor adaptation. But again, like you say, it's a it it's a it's a work in progress. Yeah, and I, I mean, I agree. I, I think that he he does tell very compelling character stories. I'm always drawn to, well, I shouldn't say always, I'm generally drawn to the characters uh, in, in the films that he is telling. I think he's got a good sense of connecting with the actors and finding a way to um, make them comfortable enough to really bring a lot of honesty out. And I think there is a lot of honesty coming out of these characters. There's an, an amazing earnestness um, with all of these actors as they tell the story. I mean, you have to go into a film like this, whether when you're making it and telling it and acting in it, you have to be in that emotionally vulnerable um, place where you're willing to just completely allow this this uh, the nature of this love story to kind of wash over you and it it can be a very challenging thing especially in the you know modern times as cynical as they are and i think he is a director who does make his actors as comfortable as they need to be in order to bring forward amazingly honest performances. And, and regardless of what people seem to think of the film, like I, I've looked through a lot of review, reviews and generally people all, all feel that Kate and Josh bring an amazing honesty to these characters. 
even if they yes. didn't like the film. Yes, uh, absolutely. That was that was my sense too. The film is pretty evenly split uh, in terms of you know those who are are fans versus uh, those who panned it. Uh, but but you're right. They like the characters. They don't like the fact that it's just you know I, you know in some cases I get the feeling that it, this film came maybe 15 years too late. Um, that it that it really it missed its window for uh, these compelling kind of romantic dramas um that that walk too much into the the you know i've already mentioned bridges of madison county nicholas sparks like they've just they they just um they 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 may have missed their missed their window or uh, maybe even going back even farther i mean i've seen a number of reviews people comparing this to all that heaven allows oh, uh, yeah. douglas sirk's film from 1955 sure. which is uh, it definitely is that sort of uh, you know that heavy romantic drama about you know a couple and you know the work of trying to connect yeah yeah but ultimately i'm you know i don't i don't really want to see it again um and i i don't feel like i need to see it again uh, but i am curious in a what would have been sort of a scenario had i gone into this really imagining it as a romantic drama as you did i wonder if i would have liked it at all yeah. Uh, because generally, I think I'm going to walk away from this film saying I, I like the intention of of Reitman. It feels like a Reitman film. I didn't like it. Yeah, uh, interesting. So, and see, I, I liked it, and uh, this, but but again, it's not a film that I would reach for again. Yeah. But if it's on, I don't think I would turn away from it. Let me I mean, say I, this: I, I think the characters draw me in enough where I would actually just sit and I would watch it again if, if it would if it was on. All right, I I will not be actively encouraging people not to see it. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> That's my position on this film. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, but you go in with your eyes open, people. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, should we talk? Uh, should we talk numbers? Uh, before we do, I just, uh, well, is there any crew that you wanted to talk about? Not really. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, I mean, I, we, I, I didn't feel like there was anything, you know, the cinematography by Eric Steelberg, I, you know, I didn't feel like there was anything particularly novel about this film. He works, he's, we've talked about, um, you know, Steelberg, I think in the past, I think we've talked about him up in the air, um, I I didn't feel like this film introduced any brilliant new, um, you know, or novel ways to look at a scene. You? No, no, but I will say I did find it a gorgeous film to look at. I mean, I I thought that they shot it beautifully. I really just loved kind of just, it all felt it had this kind of sumptuous air to it, which did bring me back to kind of like the Douglas Sirk sort of feel. It does kind of, it felt very autumnal. It mm-hmm. had kind of that, even though it was lush green and everything, but there was kind of that that pleasant afternoon light that kind of seemed to kind of permeate everything within the film. Yeah, and I think they really celebrated that in the copious use of montage. Uh, that I, I think, you know, particularly cooking and, and when they were cleaning the house at the end, you know, they're working with the brooms after it's, it's pretty, and the house ends up being pretty sparse and, and they, they do play with light fairly well. And, and I, mm-hmm. I found myself really taken by some of the, the beautiful reflections off the floor that they managed to capture that, that I thought were really nice. Yeah. I agree with you there. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I, Rolf Kent is a composer who I, I kind of can take him or leave him. 
but I really enjoyed the score for this. I mean, I, I haven't, I don't have it uh, as a kind of a separate soundtrack that I've listened to, but I felt the music really brought something to the film that, I mean, it, I don't know, it really worked for me in context of the film. I liked that quite a bit. That's interesting. I have no memory of the score at all at this point. Well, it's not like I'm not walking around humming it or anything like that. But I am saying that in the context of the film, I was like, wow, I really enjoy what the music is doing for these scenes. So all right. So it worked in that context. Good. All right. I'll let you have so, that. All right. You'll always have the score. I'll always have the score. That's right. <laughs> and then one last little uh, bit of interesting trivia that I, I found out. The is Internet that... Movie Firearms Database. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let me tell you what James Vanderbeek's cop was carrying. <laughs> no, Joyce Maynard, who wrote the novel, yeah. um, who has written a number of novels, I find it very interesting that she actually uh, dropped out of college to go. Uh, she she had started a correspondence uh, correspondence with J.D. Salinger and actually went to live with him for ten months. And uh, she wrote her first book at the time. And so I, I had no idea, but yes, she actually had this kind of relationship with J.D. Salinger for a while. I did not know that. That is a very interesting find. Yes, especially considering J.D. Salinger is such a uh, notoriously uh, hidden person. You know, it just, I don't know. You hear about authors like that, and I just kind of assume that nobody has contact with them. Yeah. Which doesn't obviously make any sense, but I, I do find it interesting. Like, oh, look at that. Here's a person who actually had a relationship with him. That is fascinating. You know, it provides that sort of extra context uh, to how, you know, it, you think about J.D. Salinger, and then you think, gosh, it makes me really want to read this book, particularly to see what the Salinger effect uh, mm -hmm. might be on the way she treats romance or uh for example um you know coming of age uh, yeah why is that such an important angle um especially for her as, yeah. as a young girl yeah you know she was in, you know dropped out of her freshman year of yale to go actually live with him and i guess you know they had been together for 10 months and uh, during kind of toward the end of the vacation or this period together they were on a vacation with her and his two children from previous marriage he said he didn't want any more children she said she wants to have some children of her own and at that point he ended their relationship immediately wow <laughs> yeah just Cut it off right there. Jeez. Yeah. Talk about a hard case. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Very, yeah. very interesting. All right. So, now, now do you want to talk about numbers? Now. Let's do let's that. Let's talk about numbers. All right. So this film, um, in case you didn't know, did not do very well for itself, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, this, this film... Uh, just really struggled to find an audience, and it, it's it's down toward the bottom of our films because it ended up being a film that uh, that ended up losing money at the box office. Um, Labor Day cost about it actually cost what I found is eighteen million to make. They actually spent nineteen million on the prints and advertising. So, mm. like like you hear quite a bit, they end up sometimes spending more on all of the marketing of a film. Uh, than they actually spent on the film itself. So they, they ended up spending about $37 million on the film. Um, domestically, it made... Oh, what did it make? 
13 point, uh, almost $13.4 million domestically. Internationally, um, not quite $6 million. So a total of about $19.3 million is what it made. Hmm. So it made back its prints and advertising budget. <laughs> Yeesh. Yeah, so uh, it ended up losing about uh, about $160,000 per finished minute. That's sad. Yeah. You just don't like hearing that. No, I mean, you're, we're always hoping that a film will will do good and, and you yeah. know, make its money back. But Well, I, I think at this point it's time for us to rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com and uh, the flickchart.com slash the next reel. And that's where you will find our list of all of our top films and, uh, well, and the bottom ones, but mostly the top ones. Uh, you should join Flickchart and friend us or like us, and then you can stack your films and then we'll compare and see if we agree. Uh, since we so, so we have to find a way to agree with each other every single week. <laughs> It's a struggle sometimes. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Labor Day or Carrie? Carrie. Yeah, I will go Carrie on that one. Labor Day or Taxi Driver? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love the place this puts you. <laughs> God. No, it's actually not that hard. I'm going to pick Labor Day on this one. I'm picking Taxi Driver. You got it. You can have it. <laughs> See, I actually win either way. I get to make my choice of conscience and, you know. That's pretty funny. All right, Labor Day or Major League? Major League. I'll go Major League as well. Labor Day or The Blob? (laughs) I would do Labor Day. Really? Yeah. All right. Uh, You know, uh, Weirdly, I think I would probably just leave Labor Day on if there were, if there were only those were the only two options. I would probably right. I would probably watch Labor Day. Okay, Labor Day or Yee? Labor Day. I I hmm. I may do Yee, but again, it's so long. <laughs> I'll pick Labor Day. <laughs> Uh, Labor Day or the Hudsucker Proxy? Hudsucker Proxy. Uh, I would do Labor Day, but I'll give you the Hudsucker Proxy. <laughs> Much to my chagrin. Labor Day or Bull Durham? Oh, Bull Durham. Yeah, I'd do Bull Durham. All right, look at that. Uh, <laughs> I, I I went into this knowing this was not going to crack the top 100, and it certainly didn't. We're at 135 out of 148. <laughs> just tell me. Just give me the... Two or three more that are behind it. Well, we've got Yee Yee. Yeah. Key Largo. Yeah. We're No Angels. Oh. Christmas in Connecticut. All of our older films that appear at the blob. And then we go to Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which rightfully is (laughs) down toward the bottom. But it Uh, didn't beat Rush. uh, No. Rush is at the very bottom. Yeah. Didn't beat Rush. No. No. As far as losing, yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's fantastic. So that was our very short series, uh, additional series of Jason Reitman, uh, adding him, uh, adding that to our catalog of Reitman films. And and uh, where do we go and from here? And holiday films. And holiday films. That's right. <laughs> We've got a few. We've in got there. a Labor Day holiday. <laughs> I wonder if that'll ever happen again. Uh, where do we go from here? 
we're going to uh, start celebrating Halloween early. We're going to jump into kind of a long series of Stephen King films. I'm glad about this. I am too. What's first? Are you going to say, or just going to let? Yeah, we're we're going to we're going to start with The Shining. Yeesh. Mm Mm-hmm. Stacking them. Yeah, the uh, the Kubrick version, not the made-for-TV version. Oh, I better get that then. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> wah, wah. Oh, I can't wait. That's going to be a good one. And you know what? I'm. I okay, wait a minute. So that's just next week. So I just need to, a very quick announcement. Anybody, if anybody's listening to this, and is coming to Portland for the XOXO uh, festival, it starts uh, the the festival is Thursday the 11th and and Friday the 12th, and then the the conference itself Saturday the 13th and 14th. Please. Uh, find me. I will be there on Saturday and Sunday. I don't know how much Friday I will. I don't think any time on Friday I'll be there. But I will be there Saturday and Sunday. I would love to connect people. Anybody who's listening going to be in Portland, look me up. Find me, Twitter, whatever. Let's connect. What Definitely. That? Yeah. I wish you could come. I do too. I don't know what I would do there, but... <laughs> well, you just hang out with me and drink coffee. Yes, yes. So that's pretty much what we do. And and wear <laughs> hipster glasses. You'd have to get new glasses. They need more right. hipster. Right, yeah, right. All right, I'm done. I got to go to bed. All right. I am actually going to go make a pie right now. Okay, this one I feel like I'm doing uh, that's particularly on point. It is by, it's a three-star review by Flannel Quilter. It's a one-liner. I just have to say that's a great name. (laughs) Right? Flannel Quilter. Okay, not great. By the middle of the movie, I wanted to smack Kate Winslet. (laughs) Weak women drive me nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I totally resemble that remark. Judge much? That's pretty funny. <laughs> I don't need to. Flannel Quilter did it for me. That's right. <laughs> Go for awesome. it. Awesome. Mine is a five-star review by Network Pro that says, A superb movie. Don't listen to critics. I was about to visit movie theater, spelled theater, <laughs> with my wife and see the options. Labor Day seems okay, but I always review first some websites to see other comments and critics. Rotten Tomatoes doesn't have a very good reviews about the movie regarding users, but anyway, I give it a chance. Thanks God I do it. I love this movie. I highly recommend it. That works, bro. Thanks God you do it. (laughs) Thanks God. (laughs) Oh, Amazon. Amazon. Thanks God, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. 
The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Today. 